Welcome to Just a Parishioner. I'm Loren Zaragoza. I'm Sean Greeley. Thank you for downloading today's episode. All episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube now. We have a great show for you today. Um, Sean and I, it's been a while uh, since we've had a parishioner profile on, uh, but today we have Aaron Von Elm with us. Aaron, how are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the first guest that we've had on since we've gone to video so wow i'm honored yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> it's it's kind of a big deal wow not... <laughs> thank you so much no pressure but... oh no, no none whatsoever no no no, no. It, it's uh it's awesome uh, we've been we've been super excited um to have you on um we're gonna have a great discussion you're gonna go into your personal profile we get to know uh get to know aaron a little bit better um don't forget to connect with us we are on social media uh, we are on Instagram at just a parishioner. We are on Facebook.com slash just a parishioner. You can shoot us an email at weareparishioners at gmail.com. Um, but again, big one here. We would love if you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel um, so you could check out our YouTube link on all of our social media sites. I think we broke a dozen views on the last one. So let's see if we can get to two dozen. Let's it's go. A, it's a big deal. We're talking about a big deal. <laughs> Race to 100. That's what I keep saying. Let's get to 100 subscribers. You're talking about views, not even subscribers, right? Yeah. Forget subscribers. It's all about the views. Good times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But again, so we have uh, Aaron with us. So Aaron, you know, if you want to introduce yourself to our listeners, um, just a little background of who you are, what you do, and and all that fun stuff. Sure. So like Lauren said, I'm Aaron. Um, I'm a third grade teacher at St. Agnes in Rockville Center. I'm going into my fifth year there. Um, I absolutely love it. I also work at um, Backyard Players, also in Rockville Center, and um, hang out with um, kids who have disabilities there, and it's an art-based program, so we do a lot of um, theater and yoga and arts and crafts, and it's a great time. So that's kind of what I do and who I am. How long have you been? Backyard Players, you said yes, it's called? Yes. How long have you been with them for? Um, I think that's also going to be my fifth year because I started that when I started teaching. So it all kind of worked out and Rockville Center kind of became my little place to be in my adult life, I guess. So, awesome. yeah. Yeah. Wait, we're, we're going to let you get into your own story and everything. Okay. But now I'm just curious, like, what's your favorite part of being part of the Backyard Players program? Oh, man, um, I don't know. There's so many things, but I think it's just always such a happy place to be. So you could be having like the worst day ever and go there and automatically your mood switches to being in the best mood. So it's just a really happy place. What um, what pulled you into there or how did you get involved with them? Um, so I actually was getting my master's in special education, um, and I wanted so badly to be a part of a program, um, for kids with disabilities. Um, and luckily enough, when I was working at Hofstra way back in my undergrad days at the, um, fitness center, there was somebody that I was working with who was a part of it. And he was telling me a little bit about this and I thought, what a perfect thing to get involved in. Um, and then it wasn't until later on when I started my um, grad degree at Malloy that I thought it would be the perfect time to send an email over and get involved. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of word of mouth. Yeah. If you don't ask, you don't get. Kind no. Of yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's a throwback, too. When I went to college with Aaron at Hofstra, I would see her at the fitness center all the time back when I used to work out a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I did uh, not work out, but I worked there. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's so cool. So, um, Aaron, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any parishioner profiles in the past, but essentially what it is is, you know, we want to hear 
different stories from different, you know, everyday parishioners, which is what the three of us are, you know, we're everyday parishioners. Um, so at the end of the day, we, we, you know, we, we know a little bit about your story, your background. Um, so we want to hear more about that uh, as well. So, um, you know, first question is you were raised Catholic, cradle Catholic, Catholic family, all that jazz. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, what was your home parish? St. Thomas in okay. West Hempstead. Okay. Um, yeah, born and raised there, baptized there. I went all 12 years through um, their school, which unfortunately closed recently. Hmm. Um, but my siblings and I all went there. So, um, yeah, we were born and raised Catholic. Then I went to Kellenberg and continued my Catholic education there. Um, went to Hofstra and Malloy and then continued Catholic education by teaching. So it was kind of just always... Um, around and then somehow fell into it as an adult as well. So, oh, I mean that's good. And uh, I mean I, I know your siblings too. So yeah. I mean everybody's a, a practicing Catholic in the family. Yes. So I mean that's a beautiful thing. And I want to say that's kind of a rare thing too. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, it absolutely is. And um, actually, my sister got married recently. And during and congratulations, her mass, yeah, awesome. thank you, thank you. Shout out Megan and Tom. Yeah, yeah. shout out to Megan and Tom. <laughs> but um, the best part of the day, we always say, was the mass, and it was because we had, I mean, many reasons, but um, we had Monsignor Lasante, who's over at um, St. Rose in Massapequa. Um, he was our pastor growing up and we just got so close with him and growing up with a priest like him who had so much guidance and wisdom. And, um, I think that really was what hooked us into being so involved in the parish was having priests like him. And Father Brian actually was, um, a priest at St. Thomas when I was growing up. So we Father just Brian had, Barr. yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. So we just had like these amazing, amazing priests who we looked up to so much and, we're surrounded by that. And when we had Monsignor Losante say Megan's Mass, we had cousins who like had never been to Mass or who hadn't gone in so long. And they were like, well, if we had a priest like Monsignor Losante, and like, so we really just got so blessed growing up. And I don't think we realized it until we hear things like people saying, oh, well, if we came to your parish or if we had this priest, I think that's when we really are like, wow, like we were blessed growing up. So, um, that's kind of how we grew up. It was just a part of us. That's important, though. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said before, like, it's rare that you have, you know, an entire family still going to church and, and you know, still, uh, you know, devout, which is a phenomenal thing. But, you know, it also wasn't an accident, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, you know, obviously, you know, your parents raised you in, in that way and you were in it together and and. Obviously, you and it seems like you and your family are still very, very close. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're all going our separate ways a little bit, but um, always finding our way back. So That's right. Long yeah. Island's like a big, small town. You guys oh, are yeah. all, all still around, right? Yeah. I heard somebody say like small, Long Island, small worlds or something like that. Yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. I mean, down here when uh, I went to Ireland, my wife and I went to Ireland, um, what was it? years back, you know, right after we got married and we're in this little dive bar in Ireland. And we mentioned one of the local bars here in our hometown. And then just some guy randomly in Ireland says, oh, yeah, I know that bar. I, I lived over there for years. I'm like, of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> of course you found us in Ireland from Long Island. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, Sean and I were talking, Aaron, and and one of the big reasons uh, we had you on and, and you were said you were definitely open to talking about it is, um, you know, when you were younger, 
uh, you had a bit of a health scare. And um, again, if you're open to it, we would love to hear, you know, your story uh, about what you went through. And obviously what our listeners would love to hear is, you know, faith tied into that. But, you know, the, the floor is yours and, uh, and, and it's open. Yeah. So when I was 16, um, I'll go back to the summer of when I was 16. Um, things were very normal. Um, I was volunteering down at Camp Anchor and um, doing summer theater in my parish. And it was just a normal summer. Um, but I was getting headaches like every single day. And I kind of just brushed it off. And I was like, oh, it's the heat or it's being outside and not having enough water. And just really kind of like didn't think twice about it. Um, and then I was starting my junior year of high school. And again, things were normal. I was applying to colleges and um, everything seemed pretty normal um, until those headaches kind of became um, a lot. Um, like I would study and not be able to focus a lot or um, I just like couldn't get through the day without getting a headache. Um, so of course I mentioned it to my mom and she brought me to my pediatrician and he was like, okay, like it's the start of school. Like you're definitely going to get headaches. It's definitely just stress or whatever. But um, I'm going to warn you, like if you're sleeping and you open your eyes in the morning and you have a bad headache, that's when it might be a little bit different. So of course, the next morning <laughs> I uh, opened my eyes and I had that really bad headache. So I ran downstairs and I was like, mom, uh, the doctor said this might be different. Um, so my mom being the angel that she is, she was like, let's go over to the ER. Let's take care of this just in case. I don't think it's anything. Let's just make sure it's nothing. So, um, I went in, I got, um, a CAT scan and we're just sitting. And I remember it was crazy because it was like my, um, neighborhood block party that day. So we were like, oh, like, I hope we could still make it. And like, I hope we can make it for dinner. And like, things were just so like, we had no idea what was coming. Right. Um, so the doctor comes out and he calls my mom over and I could just see all over her face that something was not right. Um, and she comes back over with the doctor and the doctor says, okay, like we found something. Um, we can't do anything about it right now here. So we're going to bring you over to Cohen Children's Medical Center and, um, they're going to help you out a little bit. Okay. So of course I'm 16. Like I know, like, something's wrong. So I start questioning him and I say, okay, what is this? How are we going to handle it? And he just said, it's, it's a brain tumor. I don't know what kind, I don't know how we're going to take care of it. Um, but you definitely have something there. So my mind automatically just went to biology class where I learned that you could be awake for brain surgery. Um, Oops. and I remember, yeah, like we had a full talk about like being awake and making sure that the um, everything's still attached and that you still know what's going on. So that's where my mind went. And now granted, I had only had like, like a small tooth removed. I had never had surgery in my life. So now surgery was playing on into my mind and right. being awake for surgery was right. like in my head. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's on top, I, on top of the, the, the diagnosis right. in itself is uh, you're trying to process no that too. Yes. But yeah. So we all rushed over to Cohen's. Um, and same, same, same day. Same day. The same day. Same day. My dad meets us over there. Um, and we're just sitting in this like back little waiting room. And um, I remember this man walks in and his name was Dr. Mittler. Um, shout out to Dr. Mittler. I don't know if he's going <laughs> to listen to this, but um, 
He came in and I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like you meet people in your life that you just know everything's going to be okay when they walk in the room. And he came in and this like overwhelming sense of peace just washed over my parents and I. Mm. He introduced himself. He had a huge smile and he was like, hi, like I'm Dr. Mittler. Everything's going to be okay. Like he kind of just seemed like he knew things were going to be good, you know? And of course we were all still panicking. We were just like, hi, but there was a small sense of just, this is going to be okay. So he speaks directly to me and he's like, listen, you're 16, like you're a young adult and I'm going to tell you everything that's going on. Like, I'm not going to hide anything from you. Um, And he said, he's like, whatever I tell your parents, I will tell you. So he explained everything to us. He told us that he saw the scan Um, And that this was an atypical neurocytoma, which how he figured that out in a matter of hours, I'll never know. But um, his expertise was able to figure that out. Um, And he told us that it's not cancer, but it is aggressive. And where it was, um, it was attached to like the memory making part of my brain. Mm. Um, So the surgery was going to be very, very tedious only because they didn't want to like Take away your memories. Take away my memories. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so we heard not cancer. And of course, we breathed a sigh of relief. But then we heard the aggressive part and we were like, okay. <laughs> so um, we saw the picture of it. Um, it was the size of a golf ball. Um, and he also mentioned that one in 31 million people are diagnosed with this kind of brain tumor. Jeez. So at the lottery. Yeah, no, I don't do things small. <laughs> no, 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 it's way really possible. <laughs> yeah. And my parents were kind of laughing because they were like, ah, oh, Aaron. <laughs> so it's Classic just, Aaron. Yeah, no, really. Um, go big or go home. So that's, um, we got that diagnosis and he was like, all right, so what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, you tell me, what are we doing tomorrow? He was like, yep, for surgery. And I was like, okay. I was like, am I going to be awake for this surgery? And he said, no. And once he said no, I was like, let's get this done. I just, (laughs) I was so relieved that I was going to be asleep for this. I didn't care what he did, how it happened. I was just like, let's do it. Um, Which is way more mature than I probably would have done with that at 16, by the way. (laughs) Wouldn't have been been too good. looking back, like, I didn't know it at the time. I was 16, but I was like, that was the Holy Spirit. Like, you got this. Like, it's okay. You know, like, that was totally way above anything that I could have been feeling at that age, you know? Let me ask you, like, at that time, at that moment, like, did you have any sense of, like, faith being a part of your, like decision-making or thought process or anything, or was it mainly just kind of like in retrospect, you see that? In retrospect, I absolutely see that. At this point, we called it business mode when we were just like, let's get surgery scheduled. Let's contact family. Let's do this. It was just very like granted, of course, like everybody um, was sending prayers and all of that. But at that time, we just were so focused on let's get this taken care of. Um, the faith kicks in, but I'll get to that. (laughs) Um, so, uh, we get this diagnosis the next day with surgery. And I remember the night before surgery, um, I had a couple neighbors visit and, um, I was talking on the phone to family members and a couple weeks prior to that, my mom was working at Hofstra at the time. So I went to go visit her a few weeks before any of this was starting. And there was a mug that said too blessed to be stressed on it. So when I was in that hospital room, I thought back to that mug and I was like, 
okay, like, yeah, it's a brain tumor, but it could have been so much worse than yeah. that diagnosis that we got. So the nurse is like, oh, okay, are you ready? And I remember saying, I'm too blessed to be stressed, like sitting there at 16, you know? <laughs> like, oh, man. And there's my mom just like <laughs> sobbing and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that became the slogan for everything. So that was just like the little line that we used all the time when like things were good, things were bad, we're too blessed to be stressed. So, um, I mean, it, I mean, if I can just jump in there because that, I mean, talk about a mature, mature mentality to have that in itself is, is, is pretty wild, especially not just for a 16 year old, but for a family, you know, all together. Right. Um, and I know I'm jumping ahead uh, about the faith aspect of it, but I don't know if you have that kind of positivity or have that kind of outlook if, if you're not, you know, if, if Jesus Christ is not already ingrained in your, in your heart, you yeah. know, mm. um, because like that's not everybody has that. But mm. I think I think for most people, you need some kind of faith foundation to at least have that mentality that you had going into one of the most pivotal moments of your life up to this point, you know? Right. I have all these thoughts I want to talk about, but we're going to keep, let you keep going. We'll try to circle back. I know. Okay. I just had to jump in there because it was on the top of my head. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, um, that night, I remember it was just, we had that conversation. Um, but this is a little bit kind of where the faith aspect kicks in. Um, being the high score that I was, I was glued to my phone. So of course it, the word spread and everything. And the biggest thing that people kept saying were, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Um, and it even went so far as my elementary school principal, we, she was incredible. She set us up with like, um, pen pals around the world and everything. And she reached out to all these people who she was still connected with, like educators around the world and whatever faith they were, they were praying. So it was just like that common thing of prayer being the main focus of all of this, I think really was what kept the peace and the calm and everything. So um, surgery was that Sunday, I believe it was. Um, and we, it was a very long surgery, but um, I woke up and I remember the biggest thing that I had to remember before going into it was that this nurse, Kristen, had yellow socks. <laughs> um, and Dr. Mittler said, he was like, all right, Aaron, like, like hug your family, like everything's going to be fine. But when you wake up, I'm going to ask you what color socks Kristen has. So I said, all right, all right whatever. <laughs> so we go in and then I, I remember waking up and Kristen being right there and um, he said, he was like, all right, I told you I was going to ask you what color socks does Kristen have? And I said, yellow. And the whole room just like erupted. So <laughs> oh, that proved all cool. my memory was like intact and everything. Oh, that's awesome. So it was fantastic. That was like the best day ever. Um, my recovery was wonderful. Like everything was really, really great. Um, and I remember going home and things were starting to get back to normal right. so much so that it was just like, wow, like I went through this thing and it's, it's great. Like I came through it. But I still had like MRIs and stuff, obviously, like just to make sure things were going okay. Um, and I remember going back to Dr. Mittler's. It was around like October, beginning of October. And he said, listen, like we're going to have to go back in. And that's when the mature 16-year-old turned into like a two-year-old because I was like, <sighs> wait a minute. Like I just went back to school. I'm actually starting to understand what's going on in math. Like things are, things are normal. Yeah. Um, and... I just remember being so upset. Like I was angry that I had to go back to that. 
Um, I'm sorry, how long after the- That was about a month. About a month after. So things really just were starting to come back a little bit. The the first surgery was like end of the summer. The first surgery was middle of September. Middle of September. Yeah, so it was literally a month apart when this was going on. Right. Um, And after that last MRI, he was like, listen, (laughs) um, it was because the um, tumor was blocking a ventricle that was like kind of clogging up the fluid and stuff, which sounds disgusting, but like, um, it was pretty dangerous. So he said, we have to go back in and take a little bit more out. So I said, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> like I did my deep breath and, um, I still blessed, but maybe a little stressed, still blessed, <laughs> yep. but I also remember finding a quote that says, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And I guess I just, I became a teacher for the rhyming words because like there was another <laughs> one that I was like, God brought me to it. He's going to bring me through it. And we kept up with that saying. And um, yeah, no, surgery the first time and surgery the second time are very different because surgery the first time I was like, let's do this. Like too blessed to be stressed. And surgery the second time I was a moody teenager. I was like, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to do this. Um, But I just remember seeing like another family like really struggling in the waiting room with us. And I didn't know what they were going through, but I was like, I'm okay. You know, like seeing another family who maybe had just gotten that diagnosis or had just started going through whatever we were going through. So I was like, all right, this is going to be okay. Um, The second surgery was a lot rougher than the first surgery. Um, The recovery process was a lot longer. Um, I wasn't as wide awake coming out of it. Um, I was in the hospital a little bit longer. So it was almost like, that first one was like dynamite. And then the second one was definitely a setback, not a setback, but more of like a reality check of like, hello, you have the scary like condition, whatever. Mm. Um, so then we had that second surgery and there, he warned me, my doctor said that, um, there's a possibility while I was still in the hospital of a third surgery while I was still there. And I said, okay, like I'm, at least I'm here. I'm not back to my normal life or anything. Like, let's just, again, let's just get it done. Um, and he said the third surgery would be to place um, a permanent shunt in just to keep everything flowing the way that it should. So I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And then he said that last night that I was in the hospital, you're good to go home. Like, I want you to get home. I want you to have a little bit of normalcy. And then we'll like readdress everything later on. Mm -hmm. So at least I had that idea that like a third one was probably coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, everything, it was like September, October, middle of November. I got that shunt put in and um, that was quick. That was an in and out surgery. I was back to school in no time. That was okay. Um, And then radiation started at the end of January. So I really had like a little bit of time in between. Um, Oh no, I'm sorry. It was the end of, I don't know. It was 31 radiation treatments, but it was anywhere from like, I think the end of November to January was when it wrapped up. Um, So, and that, again, (laughs) that was tough because I would leave school and most kids were going to like after school activities or like going to soccer practice. And I was going to my radiation treatments. Um, So again, that hit hard as a 16 year old. But on the other hand, it became so routine and so normal that it just didn't even seem to be a bother after a couple of them. Um, so yeah, I do have a story with the radiation treatments, but I don't know if I should save it or not. What do you think? <laughs> save it for what? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let's, um, let's, why don't we, let's circle back to that story. Okay. But yeah, because it, it sounds like it's going to be good. So let's. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's let's, a good one. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah, so we're, we're actually, you know what? No better time than now. I'm, I'm audibling. So what's the, so during radiation. Okay. Said, so yeah. during radiation. So I, again, this is where we saw God kind of playing in a little bit because we just met these people along this journey that, if this didn't happen, we would have never had any kind of contact with, you know? So, um, we were down waiting for my radiation treatments and, um, there was a couple sitting across from us. There was, um, a man with a cane. They were about a middle-aged couple and this woman. And, um, my mom told me that when I got up to go in for my radiation treatments, the woman said to her, Oh my God, like, don't take this the wrong way. But like, I didn't expect her to go in. Like I thought like, this was like, you know, she's so young. And my mom was like, yeah, she's 16, whatever. So we came to know this couple really well because they had the same um, timing for their radiation treatments. And it turned out that I believe this was their second marriage, both of them. Um, They had waited so long to finally like get married and start their life together and everything. And then this woman got a diagnosis that Mm. wasn't so friendly. but just through our conversations and getting to know each other, they became like, like a little family down there. Right. Um, and that was so special. And I remember my last day, her daughter worked at Bath and Body Works and she got me like a little like gift. And like, mm. we, I, they're, those are just people that like, I feel like we got each other through that. And like, that's not a coincidence that we were put in the same room, you know? So I don't know what ever happened to them. Um, I pray that they were able to get married and have that happy life together, but that was definitely um, no coincidence, I think, that yeah. we met. No, not at all. No. I mean, that's God placing the yeah. right people in front of the right people. Yes. And, you know, like that's how you feel about it. God only knows how they felt about you in their lives at right. that time too, you know? Yeah, that was a great connection. There were a couple connections like that, but that was definitely one that I remember. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So this all happened essentially like during your, was that like your sophomore or junior year of high school? This is my junior year of high school. Okay. Um, Just like thinking about that as a junior in high school, like before, like during the beginning of the school year, all of a sudden you're like brain surgery and then another brain surgery plus chemo. Meanwhile, like you said, like other kids might be like going to sports or theater or music or whatever after school or just like hanging out after school or like, applying to colleges and things like that. Like, was any of that going on? Like, was any of that even front of mind? Like, I don't know. Like, how was that whole process for you? Like, I don't know, in retrospect, I guess. Um, so I knew definitely that I wanted to go to Hofstra. I was very, very blessed. You talk about my family being close. There is nobody in my Hofstra that had nobody, nobody in my family that hasn't gone to Hofstra. Okay. Literally everybody has gone. My mom worked there. My parents met there. It was like, everybody went to Hofstra. So it was kind of just like a known thing that I was going to go to Hofstra. Granted, I like wanted to go to a couple other schools and I looked, but, um, so that made the process a little bit easier when yeah. it came to all of the applications. You weren't, you weren't worried about visiting schools and stuff like no, that? No, okay. no, that wasn't too bad. Um, but I, I don't know. I still had to take the SAT. I still had to write a college essay. Yeah. Um, so all of that definitely was just like uh, thrown in kind of to everything that was going on. Now, with the radiation treatments, there was a chance that I would have to relocate to Boston too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was that also coming into play. Um, but the teachers that I had at Kellenberg, 
they were like, I use this term a lot, earth angels, but it was almost like, yes, academics was important. Your life and your family and what you're going through right now, they put that first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that That's awesome. made That's all the difference. That's a good perspective. Yeah. yeah, that made all the difference. Yeah. So yes, I had the academic part to worry about, but um, I got set up with a tutor and I had friends who would send me things. So it really just turned out to be that everybody worked together as a team. Um, I did try out for the school musical and I made it, but, uh, nice. could not do that. Um, and it was Oklahoma and I actually had one doctor who knew that I was going to be in Oklahoma, um, or hoping to be. And then he would come into my room every single morning singing the Oklahoma song. And there was one day I figured I wasn't going back to school in any timely fashion to be in Oklahoma. And I snapped and I was like, I'm not in it. And he was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm sorry to laugh, but that was oh, a very no. funny visual. <laughs> I was like, I can't be in it. I'm not in school enough. This and guy's he was been like coming oh, into your room oh. for <laughs> the longest time yeah. singing to you. Yeah. Oh poor like, guy. Oh no. <laughs> he was like, it's still a great show. You would have been great. I was like, thanks. But uh. so like I said, yes, like. There is a factor of maturity, but like there were times where I definitely broke down. And well, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> who can blame you, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so like obviously, you know, we, we want to. I want to dig deep into where you feel like your faith, um, but not just your faith. I mean, like you, where your faith fell into this all, and 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 how it got you through it. Where I mean, we we've already touched on a couple of places where we saw, uh, you know the Holy Spirit here mm-hmm. and, and God intervening here. Um, but like off the top of your head, like, are there any other parts that that may have happened? Um, and then I have a couple of other questions, but like, yeah, we'll start with that. Like, like where, where, where you were in your faith during this entire time? Yeah. So, um, like I said, growing up all 12 years, I went to St. Thomas and I loved it. It was great. And I got a faith foundation but I didn't get it until I went to Kellenberg. That's when it became real. And that's when it became like, oh, this could be the center of my life and how I get through my life. And I didn't realize that probably until I was a freshman in high school. Um, And I was involved in a lot of Catholic clubs at Kellenberg. I mean, Kellenberg doesn't phenomenal job of rooting you in your faith life. Absolutely. We've had a couple of Kellenberg grads on the, yeah. uh, on the show here. <laughs> um, they do a phenomenal job. So I think from freshman to junior year, I really had that um, foundation and was able to lean on that a lot when all of this was starting. Um, and I remember just being in my bed and my dad praying with me and we would always it was always circling back to prayer. Like I said before, with um, these people in another part of the world praying for me and the people at Kellenberg and just like so many people, it all went back to prayer. Um, And my sister actually showed me a song. I think it's actually called Blessings um, by Laura Story. And I remember the words were like, what if your blessings come through raindrops and what if your healing comes through tears? And I was like, how appropriate of like this time right now for finding God through not so fun things, you know? So that was a song that I listened to often and played in the hospital um, while I was there. But um, there were days definitely where I looked up and was like, well, why did I get this? Like, why am I the one to be in this bed? And like, why? So there were days where I questioned God left and right. And especially during that second surgery, I was like, 
what the heck? Like I had this life back and now here we go again. Um, but again, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. So um, I kind of just had to keep checking myself. And I think faith was a big part of that, of like, hello, like there's somebody so much bigger up there controlling all of this. So that's where I would kind of come back. And it brought me back down to, I'm too blessed. Like I'm so blessed right now. So yeah, that definitely was kind of where I found it all. It's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of months of this thought of prayer and, and the phrase thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. Um, We see it a lot. And and again, I'm not, I promise I'm not going to dive politically into it, but I mean, especially on social media, you, you see a lot of mockery of the phrase thoughts and prayers, right? And well, thoughts and prayers are going to do this family any good. Thoughts and prayers aren't going to do our country any good. You need to act. And that gets thrown around all the time, the, the, the mockery of the phrase thoughts and prayers. But what, what infuriates me about that is the fact that the people who appreciate the prayers and the people who are praying no, don't don't tell me what I want. <laughs> you know, don't tell me what I need. Don't tell me that I don't that my family and I don't need these thoughts and prayers. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Thoughts and prayers are the is that's exactly what I want in this time. And I'm sure that you can relate that that's those were probably so comforting. When, when people would say, hey, my thoughts and prayers are with you, especially coming from the right person. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I know you mean it when mm-hmm. you say that. Which also goes back to the other thing. Like, if you're going to say thoughts and prayers to somebody, you better mean it, and you better actually, you know, pray for that person that you're talking about too. You know, right. um, I mean, I do that unfortunately all the time. It's like I'll pray for you, and then three days later, I'm like, crap, I didn't pray <laughs> yeah. for them. But like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it happens. Like, this isn't a pedestal moment where I'm like, everybody do this. But yeah. but again, like thoughts and prayers. No, that's exactly what you know we all need, and especially time at times like this. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think about prayer, like, this is just like a side tangent a little bit, but like. Mine wasn't? <laughs> I'll take it further. Okay. <laughs> you turn left, I'll turn right. Sure. <laughs> and somehow we'll get back to where we were. But like, I don't know, you think about like the whole idea of like prayer being a useless kind of like, um, just this kind of like nice thing that you do, but it doesn't actually have any kind of effect. And realistically, like, we don't know how efficacious our prayers are. We don't know what they do, um, but you think about like what it means to be a Christian and to love somebody and to love somebody in a Christian way means to sacrifice something of your own in order for the good of that other person. Like St. Thomas Aquinas says to will the good of another as other, like beyond your own good. And it's like, all right, well, how does prayer, how does that mean that's, that that's Christian love? It's like, well, I don't know, like we're human beings and we only have so much time on this earth, right? And time is really like the most valuable resource that any of us have. And I mean, you go through a very serious health scare like that, it'll become really real to you right away, you know, or you have somebody close to you who dies prematurely, like you're going to learn that very quickly, that time is the most important thing you have. And what is prayer, but like even just sacrificing some of your time to give to God for the intention of somebody else or for some intention like maybe that is the act of love in itself and like i don't know i mean that could be a lot more worthwhile than some of the other stuff that people demand to make whatever change they're looking for Um, for sure yeah so one thing that really struck me here was like while they were talking um like i'm i'm putting myself in the shoes of your mom and your dad 
as you're getting this diagnosis and getting ready for the first surgery. And like you obviously, like you said, like had your moments of like your 16 year old self and just a human being of being like, Oh shoot. Like what's going to happen here? You know? But at the same time, like especially the first surgery saying like too blessed to be stressed, like joking around and like being like, Oh, I don't have to be awake. All right, let's do this Mm -hmm. thing. Like, I'm picturing like, but they did. <laughs> I'm, but I'm picturing like, well, they had to be awake, but yeah. I'm just picturing like being your parent and like being so terrified mm-hmm. hearing your daughter has a brain tumor. And then you see that reaction from your daughter <laughs> and they, you're like laughing it off almost. And you're like, man, that this is somehow becoming easier now because like, I like it, it's so hard, but maybe like her sense of positivity and her sense of like trust is like bringing me to that same level of trust to some degree. Like, I don't know. Did they ever talk about that? Have they spoken to you about that? Like what was their mindset during this whole process? Um, so they definitely were like my pillars during that whole thing. Um, and it's funny because they said, well, we leaned on you. And I was like, no, no, like I leaned on you. So we definitely leaned on each other. And Um, the two of them came to every single doctor's appointment together and they did it together. Um, and just thinking about how I grew up, um, even not having a brain tumor, that's how they did things. It wasn't separate. It wasn't going off on their own and figuring it out by themselves. They always just figured it out together. So I think because they had that mindset and because they've had so many years of marriage where they just handled things that way, this is how they were going to handle it. Um, and granted we broke down together. We cried together. I mean, it was all there. Um, but my mom said (laughs) when my doctor came out that first surgery and like updated everybody, she goes, can I hug you? So like, they all were feeling all of the emotions and all the feels, I guess, as they say. Um, but if they did not have that, first of all, faith, and if they did not have each other, that I don't think would have gone as smoothly as it did. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I remember, remember my dad even looking over at me and he said, how do people do this without faith? How, what do they do without having somebody to pray to or without having a community to pray for you? Like he, he just boggled his mind. I remember him just sitting next to my bed and just saying like, what, how do they do it? And I looked at him and I was like, how, I keep saying how blessed am I, but how blessed am I to have parents who think that way? You know, not everybody does. So that's, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah. too, because I mean, um, I think I've, I might've shared with you before, like I had a friend in middle school who had a brain tumor and he ended up having a lot of complications after surgery and ended up passing away when I was in ninth grade. But that aside, like the whole experience of his family through that. And they weren't necessarily like a faithful family from what, I mean, I was in like middle school, so it wasn't something I was really paying that much attention to at the time, but I don't think that they really had any kind of faith life. You know, my very contrasting with my life of like going to church with my family and my parents teaching CCD, like that wasn't anything that they ever did. Um, I don't think they were Catholic. They might've been some kind of Christian, but he, you know, he's my best friend, but he had his surgery there were complications. He had a lot of physical therapy and everything, but like the parents, like they were at each other's throats the entire time mm-hmm. and ended up getting divorced. And I, I, I think they were at each other's throats, but they ended up getting divorced. And 
you kind of see like the ripple effects of that because he also had a younger sister who I don't, I had no contact with her really. Um, but I don't know exactly how things shook out with the family, but they didn't have any faith and they fell apart in the face of adversity like that. And your guys' family had faith and they actually grew potentially closer together Mm -hmm. in the face of adversity like that. And it's not to say that faith is always going to be a cure all all the time to that, but I'm willing to bet, because I know that like statistically families that go through this kind of stuff, like that the divorce rate is very high. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm willing to bet that if they looked at people's like religious practice and if they go, if they're going to church most Sundays versus those who aren't, I'm willing to bet that the divorce rate is way, way lower for those who have some kind of like faith component to their lives. I mean, if if I could just piggyback on that, because like, as you were talking, Aaron, I don't know if you realize that, but you mentioned your dad in or beside your bed twice, mm-hmm. like in the, in a mm-hmm. span of like five minutes and like being uh, a father of three girls, like the thought of that is, and what, what they said before, like, oh, well, you were depending on them. Mm-hmm. Well, they were, they were leaning on you, but the fact that your dad is able to surrender himself to God and say, well, I, I don't got this. And like what essentially what you guys are doing is you're allowing God to fill in the gaps for where you guys aren't able to support each other, which is phenomenal stuff. And, and to your point, Sean, God can also be the glue <laughs> to, to hold families together in crazy times like this. So it like just those two aspects alone, I mean, I mean, we can't like can't stress it enough, like how important it is to just sometimes just throw your hands up and say, hey, listen, we'll do everything within our control, but there's a lot outside of our control. And that's where that's where we got to let God fill in the gaps. And I think that's, you know, without thinking too much into it, I think that's exactly what you and your family were doing and especially your parents at in, in this crazy time, mm-hmm. you know? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, how were your... Uh, your siblings throughout all this, you know, I like you, I think, you know, I was going to ask that question, yeah. but yeah, how, like, how are your, like, obviously your, you and your siblings were very close. Um, we talked about it before, but how, how were they throughout this entire process? Um, so I remember the day that I got diagnosed, my brother was taking a class at Chaminade for the Catholic high school entrance exam. He was in eighth grade. Um, and my mom called up her best friend and, she just said, hey, we're at the hospital with Aaron. We don't know which way this is going to go. Can you go grab Liam from his class? So Liam sees my mom's friend out there and he's like, what's going on? You know, all 14 years old of him. Um, and she told him kind of what was going on. And she said he just kind of broke down. Right. Um, and then my sister, she was at Hofstra at the time. And um, she is... Um, my best friend, you know? So I remember she also said she broke down. Um, But like I said before, this was the day of our neighborhood block party. So the neighborhood kind of scooped the two of them up and held them tight and made sure they were okay. Um, They both came that first night to see me. um, And I was kind of just like joking around and everything. And they said that made things easier. But um, it was a very, very strange time because up until that point, we just lived as a normal family and they did their thing and we did, we were very close, but we all did our own thing. Um, and then I remember coming home from the hospital and it was like, everybody just wanted to be in one room and like, including little Liam who was 14 and like, could have just ran off with his friends and Megan who was a college kid and like, 
could have been anywhere else too, but we really stayed very, very close at that time. Um, and they were in and out of the hospital to visit me. Um, so yeah. And I just remember they were the ones that like, I couldn't wait to get home to. I'm getting teary eyed thinking about it. Um, but it's kind of like you get siblings and you get best friends handed into that, you know? So when I came home, it was like, wow, I get to go home to my friends. Like, it's like a very, very happy place to be because of them. So they were the two that definitely with my parents got me through. So man, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that there are close families without faith, but you, you can't you can't tell me that growing up in a household like that, it like doesn't help, it doesn't help the cause and all that. And for them to be able to be there for you and knowing their and knowing what's important. And like you said, I mean, even just even just a 14 year old. Right. It's like, oh, she had a surgery. She's all good. All right. Well, I'm going to go hang out with my friends now. You're yeah, good. Aaron? No. All right. I'll see you later. You know, no. like that's. Like that, that's a 14 year old boy, you know, I remember Um, even when he was going on like his high school tours, because this was all happening. It was just such a crazy time. How like I was applying to college. Liam was looking at high schools like it was just such a like turning point in all of our lives at that time. Um, And I remember we were sitting in the hospital room and he was looking at Chaminade. He was looking at he was looking at all the schools. And of course, we were crossing our fingers for Kellenberg. We're biased. Megan and I both went there. Um, but we didn't sway him either way. We just said, you pick wherever you want to go. So we get the phone call and he was like, oh, like Chaminade was very nice. And then he like paused for a little bit and he was like, but I think I'm a firebird. And we all, the whole hospital room was just like, Whoa! <laughs> like my nurses knew about it. We all knew about it. So everybody was like very, very excited. So yeah, he was going through that at the time. So it was just, we all were going through our lives in so many different ways. And then this just like stopped us in our tracks and kind of made us realize like, whoa, like we have each other still, you know, like as crazy as life gets, we're still going to come back to each other. So. Mm, Right. What a, so like after the surgery, you continue high school, graduate, go to college. I know because I was at Hofstra for a couple of years while you were there, like you were involved in the campus ministry program. You did retreats and service trips or service days and things like that. Um, I'm just curious, like it sounds obviously you came from like a Catholic upbringing, Catholic family, like coming out of that experience, did you feel like you were a little more or less or about the same convicted as far as like living out your faith goes? Like, did that change your desire to like pursue, you know, Catholic interests and things like that? Or I don't know, like what your thoughts are on that? Um, I definitely think it strengthened my faith, I would have to say. Um, and I said it before and I'll say it again. Kellenberg does a great job of making being a Catholic be really cool. So like you. Uh, we got it. Everyone's going to send their kids to Kellenberg after this. <laughs> this is not a Kellenberg commercial, I promise. But I You, you better believe have, we're going to tag them in I this know. and they better repost this episode. Because they're getting a lot of free publicity up in here. So. Well, Yo, Shamanad, step up your game. <laughs> I love Shamanad just the same. I'm not saying either one's better, but. Um, well, you could go to Kellenberg, so that's, (laughs) but yeah. So like I wanted to join all those clubs and I wanted to be a part of that. And then that's again, where I got that foundation 
And I think coming out of surgery and everything, I had so many opportunities at Kellenberg. Like I was a junior retreat staff leader and I got to share my experience a little bit. And I was a marriedist mentor, which was like a big brother, big sister to like the little kids. Um, so I got to do that. And like, I just kept, God kept putting me in these roles where I could be around um, other Catholics and enjoy so much what I was doing in a faith setting. So I think because I had such a positive experience there, I wanted to continue it like throughout my life. And that's when Newman came into play and that's when Catholic school being a teacher there came into play. So I think it really just like stuck with me. I mean, it definitely was heightened at that point in my life when I was 16, but um, it really just kept finding me throughout my life again and it stuck. So, and thank God it did because it's everything now. So, yeah. I mean, well, before we wrap it up, I mean, just want to talk about like the thought of foundation, how important it is to have that kind of foundation going into the unknown, you know, God forbid something happens like this tomorrow, you know, you, you want to make sure that you have that foundation and thank God you and your family did at that point. Um, but I think at the point that you're getting at, Sean, it's like, all right, now something did happen and, and what are you going to, what are you doing with it after the fact? And, um, I don't know. It, it sounds like you didn't let it go to waste and you're, you're allowing it to guide you the right way th- through today, which is, you know, absolutely amazing. But uh, before we wrap up, um, anything the two of you want to uh, dive into before we uh, close out tonight? I, every time I hear a story like this where it's just like this period of suffering, even though it was like joyful suffering, it sounds like in a lot of ways, like I think about like the book of Job and you know, one of the, the best argument for people not believing in God is that this kind of stuff happens. Like right. that was one of the famous arguments um, that came out of, I forget what philosopher it was, but I think it was the 18th to 19th century. It was like, if there's a young child who gets cancer or a young child who just dies of a horrible disease or, you know, something like a brain tumor that can really be a huge health affliction, like why would a loving God allow that? And that's like, really the best argument that there is. And then I always think about the book of Job, right? Like it's this unreasonable thing, but like even the most faithful person can go through this intense suffering in life. And what do we see in Job? Like he was the best on best on earth, best worshiper, best, you know, God fearing man on earth. And he suffers immensely and loses everything he has. But what does he do at the end of it? He still offers God praise and worship. And like, that's the example. And then we see it in the New Testament with Christ where, you know, fully trusting God, he still suffers the worst of the worst as far as death goes, um, as far as suffering goes. And, you know, him being God resurrected and took all the sin away. And like, if we can just put our trust in him, like we we can get through all these things that uh, the, that the world puts on us and that the brokenness of the world allows to happen. Um, and, and it sounds, you know, maybe to some people unreasonable to be like, there is a loving God behind all of this. But then we hear a story like yours, Aaron, and like how the faith and the belief and the trust really allowed you to grow stronger through the, the you know, thank God, not, you know, uh, really, really sad tragedy, but obviously still tragic period of your life. Um, 
I don't know. It's, I love hearing stories like this where you have that kind of like intensely faithful family that can just like bring everybody up with each other and knowing you and your family, like you guys are such a great example of that. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just like you talk about if God didn't exist, you know, if God did exist, there'd be a perfect world. And well, if the world is perfect and putting that in quotes, if the world was perfect, the way people would see perfection, then there'd be no need for sympathy. There'd be no need for hope. There'd be no need for compassion because all the things that cause those three things and more, there's just no, like, it would never happen, right? Right. What you were telling us in the story that you went, like, uh, what, what you went through, all three of those plus so many more good things came out from it. And so, again, there's there's no perfect world because all of those are good. And, and the world without those things isn't, isn't really perfect, right? Um, but I mean, you found God in so many of these little pockets during through the through the entire journey. I'm sure there are times you look back today and 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 find little pockets, which is just amazing. So um, you know, just thank you. You know, on behalf of Sean and I, thank you so much. On behalf of the listeners, thank you for taking the time and sharing your story and being vulnerable with us and and being open to talk about God because a lot of people just aren't doing it these days. So Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you guys for allowing me to do this. Um, I haven't really shared my full story like that. I don't think ever. So this is the place. This is the place. And for all you (laughs) listeners out there, if you have a story to share, let us know. It's a good plug, Sean. Good plug there. But Aaron, thank you again. Um, If you haven't already, please uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be a subscriber on YouTube, please. Um, again, you can connect with us on Instagram at just a parishioner or facebook.com slash just a parishioner. You can shoot us an email at weareparishioners at gmail.com because we would love to connect with you. Thank you guys for listening. Please pray for us. We're praying for you. I'm carrying up my sins.